All right, good morning, everybody. Um, it will be an encouraging teaching today. I, I, I don't think I'm going to beat anybody today, so I'm, I'm excited about it too. It'll be in Psalm 107, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Psalm 107. Tonight at the bridge, we'll be doing a worship night. That's at 7 o'clock, joining them in their worship night. They've asked our team to come, and I think they invited us. If not, we're coming anyway. I don't know. Um, so we'll be at our 6. Did someone say 6? It's not at 7. It's at 6. If you come at 7, you're going to miss it. it was 6 o'clock at the bridge. Join us for that tonight if, you, if you're available. And then today's the last day to sign up for the women's luncheon. If you'd sign up, then we have our head count and we'll get our food ordered and all that. And um, that's out there. Teen night, March 26th, 5 to 8. Uh, drop off at the community center. They're going to be doing those fun things there. So um, and we'll keep reminding you of that we, as we get closer. The next potluck is April 2nd. And then Good Friday service, Easter Sunday service, sunrise, as well as the 9 and 11, if you can't make it to the sunrise. Men's, gee, many Christmas. We've got a lot going on, don't we? Uh, April 15th, 7 a.m. Join us for that. Jerry Veer will be sharing with us that morning. And okay, now we're going to get into the text this morning. So that's good. A lot of stuff going on. Oh, I will give you a heads up. In June... We'll be doing a joint men's retreat with Grace out at Mazingo. So at the retreat center there, we'll get sign-up sheets for that as we get closer to that. So the ladies are having their lunch, and guys, we're going to have our thing too. So uh, there you go. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to study it and to be encouraged by it and to have your rod and staff comfort us as JC prayed. Um, It's just wonderful how this psalmist just really encourages the portion of thanksgiving in our walk with you. And uh, I pray that we'd understand that in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we do understand we're supposed to give thanks, and we do, you know, for the most part. Um, But in this psalm, I think we discover that there's, there's, there's something very spiritual that takes place. It's not just duty or the next thing to do. It's like your parents taught you, you need to say thank you, write your thank you notes. With God, of course, there is that obvious, um, it's protocol to give thanks for something he's done, but there's something that happens between uh, us and him when we do give thanks. It's a very important process that he puts in place. It's not because he needs it or wants it uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, it's for us that we give thanks. He receives it, of course, but it's for us. And I think we'll see that here. In verse 1, oh, by the way, we're starting book 5 of the Psalms. This is the final book. It's Psalm 107 through 150. Um, so there's 43 Psalms or so that we have to, that we'll that not have to, but we'll have to go through before we move on to the next book. But we're, we're at the end here. So this is our fifth book. Um, uh, if you have one of my Bibles, a word for today Bible like this, it says fourth. It's a misprint. I found a mistake. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. So I circled it and put five there. Anyway, because I love finding mistakes. No, that's terrible, right? Fault finder. Um, but I read it. I'm like, wait, we've got to be on five. We were just in book four. And, well, there it was. So good for me. Verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. And that's our first break. 
out of the fact that we're redeemed, we're the ones that should be giving thanks. We know that. Now, he's not talking necessarily about Jesus, obviously, in the Old Testament. But there are so many times the nation of Israel gets redeemed, gets taken care of, gets brought out of difficult situations. He's saying it's only right that we give thanks to him. Um, They are uh, in need to know, and we need to understand, I think we do, that we're surviving, that we, we survived it. For example, um, you'll hear that a lot, maybe in a car accident or some tragedy that's taken place, but they got out. They just barely made it. And they will say, the Lord was watching out for me. We hear that all the time from our friends and even from ourselves. Who that could, you know, and I think back and we all think back of our past and we're thinking how many times we probably shouldn't have made it, but did. That's what he's talking about. That Thanksgiving from looking back and saying, my goodness, I should have died like 20 times. And here I'm standing. Wow. I just want to thank you for that this morning, you know, for those times. I may not be going through the greatest circumstances right now. I may wish my life was a little bit better or a whole lot better right now. But as I look back, thank you. I'm still standing, you know. Um, <laughs> I, Dwayne, I'm, I'm going to keep using you every, every sermon here, but there's so many Dwayneisms that I should, I should, we should write a book. Um, but he, he said, well, any, any day you're not six feet under is a good day, you know, kind of thing. I think one of the, we were at the office or something, or you were on the phone with me and I was like, yeah, we're live, you know, and, uh, we have, we have a today and we may have a tomorrow to actually live for God where we hadn't in the past. And there's Thanksgiving and that's all he's saying. Let the redeemed, let those who have survived, let those who've, who've made it through, Give thanks to the Lord because he's brought us out uh, from the east, from the west, from the north and the south. Verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Jenny was reading to the kids last night and I jotted down one of the things that she was reading to them out of this book. Um, And I'm not even sure what book she's reading to them. Sometimes I'm in the room, sometimes I'm not. But faithfully, she reads to them every night, you know, just part of the school process and everything. And it was even a Saturday and we're still reading. But one of the things uh, this person was going through, doesn't matter who it was, he was, uh, the line was this, I can't give you all the context, but it was rare that anybody noticed their needs. They were a giving couple. They were people that would take care of other people. And the person being taken care of recognized that it was rare that other people saw their needs. And that really struck with me. I don't know why it did, but it stuck with me. How important it is for us, the gift we can give to other people when we recognize their needs. We know our needs. We're, very, we're well aware of our needs. But when we recognize other people's needs... And that happens, I believe, and is, in, is supposed to happen by the Holy Spirit. So l- let me try to pull this together. I'm trying not to be too out there, you know. But God has developed a process by which we have needs, the fainting, the hunger, the thirst in the wilderness. We cry out to God. That's our channel. 
and he meets our needs, sometimes through other people, sometimes by himself. Now in the wilderness, he just gave him manna, he just brought him quail, he just gave him water himself. No one was delivering that by, you know, like a casserole pan, you know. But how he works now and still wants to work in his church is that same way. As much as I, I want to just tell everybody what my needs are to see if anybody can meet my needs, that's not the process that God has put in place. He tells his folks, I want you to pray in the closet. I want you to be quiet about it. I want you to keep your needs between me and you because your father has, he knows your needs before you even ask. And yet that's, that's the channel I want you to take because when that goes up, you're close to me. You're in contact with me. We're having the fellowship we desire. And then I can look for someone who's looking at me to see if by the spirit, I can lead them in a direction where someone else might have needs. It's not a very efficient process, to be sure. I mean, it'd be much easier for me to just to walk up to one of you and say, you got five bucks, you know? But that's not how God wants to work. He wants to be in the middle of that. He wants that channel. And what happens, because it's for our benefit, I'm in contact with the, the one who provides, who has all the provision. And, and he has given his provision to so many other people that then when they pray, they hear from God and everybody's hearing from the Spirit. Everybody's walking with the Lord. It, it builds that, that community with God, that church. He's, he's the head and we're the body and we're all sending our signals to the brain, you know, like the nervous system. He's the head and we're, and we're getting our instructions from him. That's what he wants. It's not, out, it's not that bizarre. He's just noticing it. We hungered and thirst. We got to the point of soul fainting. Then we cried out to God and he delivered us and he led us. And then we can tell stories and we can talk about that. That's what increasing our faith means. That's what, that's what he wants us to do is to increase our faith. And my faith needs to be, I'm just going to let you know what my needs are, what my heart is, God, and only you. And then I'm going to wait and watch. And I'm going to wait and watch. And it protects us. It protects us from those who would seek to exalt themselves. If I go to this crowd and says, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble, Calvary. I've got a debt and it's going to be due tomorrow and I need $5,000. I need it tomorrow. That's not true, but if you want to write a check for $5,000, I'd take it. I run the risk of, I've got people that are more than willing jump up and say, absolutely, I've got it, it's yours, you know. Um, but there's two groups in that group. One group is doing it out of love and another group is doing it out of, he's going to owe me later kind of thing. And that's a danger we run into. Um, whereas if I go to God and I leave my prayers in his hands, the person that comes to me unbeknownst to them that I've prayed that prayer and says, I don't know what it is. Something's on my heart. I need to do this. I know exactly where that heart is. I know exactly where that's coming from. There's so much going on when we do it God's way. You can't even, and, and I've only probably hit on three or four of the things that take place in that one simple transaction, that one simple prayer and answered prayer. We can force it. We can make things happen. I mean, we're doers. We can do that. But the motives behind it and everything behind it changes and is untrustworthy as opposed to the way God's plan is. I think that's very important. I think he says, keep your prayers. I'm going to read what I wrote. God's ways are sometimes too impractical for us. Keep your needs private between you and the Lord. And then we, on the other end, need to notice needs by the Holy Spirit. 
And that's how the body grows in faith. Keep your prayers quiet between you and the Lord. We need to listen to the Lord for ministry direction. It's just very good wisdom. I think that's what he lays out in Scripture. And of course, the psalmist here is thanking him for it. Verse 10. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and iron, irons, handcuffed, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart uh, with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars, bars of iron in two. He's delivered us. That can be physical, and it can be spiritual, and it can be emotional, and it can be mental. All these bars and chains that he's talking about here can apply to any one of those situations, because God delivers. It's what he does. It's what he does. The word despised there is what I focused on on this section of Scripture. The reason they're in trouble and the reason they're in the place they are is because they despised the counsel of the Most High. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew what his word says, but they despised it. So I looked it up just to get some more uh, words for it. The word there means, and even in your center column reference, it'll say scorn. Scorn. That's a word that isn't used very often even. Um, To scorn somebody, what does that mean? Let me give you some. It's to have contempt for or there's derision. Um, what, hell hath no fury than a woman scorned? Is that the phrase that we use? You know, we know what that means. A woman who's been used, a woman who's been promised, a woman who's been uh, left thinking. And the, per- the, other, the other side of it, the man looks and says, not going to do it, not going to follow through. I know what you want. I know what you need. I know what you expect, and I'm not going to do it. That's a scorned person, okay? God feels scorned. There's scorn when we don't do what his word says. I don't know that we look at it that way. A lot of people look at the Bible as a bunch of good advice that they can take or leave. And it's not that. It is God's word and it's meant to be not despised. It's meant to be not scorned. It's meant to be not contempt. The opposite of of these things, um, and I have another picture I need to pull up here so I can, um, because I had to, there we go, let's try that. And then I'm blind, so I have to get really... You don't need to watch me do this. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. It says this. The opposite of it is to admire and respect. To admire and respect. And I would add to that then, because he's talking about his word. When you admire and respect something, you do it. You do it. And that's what keeps them out of the troubles that they're in, is if they do it. Um, so the word despised there is scorned. Um, call it what it is in my life. When I hear God's word or I know what it says or I've been taught and I just say, nah, I don't think that's true. That's scorning and God sees it that way. And it will, it will put you, that scorn, into a difficult situation to where you need to cry out. And God is faithful and merciful, which is what this chapter is about. Mercy. He'll help you. Even though it was because of your scorn of his word that got you into trouble, he'll help you. But please, I think the the message here is to learn from it and don't scorn his word anymore. 
Because it's going to happen again if you continue to scorn it. And so we're, we need to be careful. And I think that's why he writes the song. They're in trouble. They rebelled against the words of God. And they despised what he said. And they found themselves in a, in a whole bunch of trouble. So that's that. Um, verse 17. Fools, because of, their because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. He hits on something here that when we do pray and give thanks to God, you are sacrificing your pride. When you're thanking God for doing something for you or for anybody doing something for you, you that is a sense of humility. And I know what you've done for me. I couldn't have done myself, you know. And so I thank you for that. And that's a, that's a, that's a, a humble thing to do. And it, sometimes it can be a sacrifice. I don't know that he means it that way. Like, oh, I guess I have to say thank you. It's such a sacrifice for me. It's not what he means. But it's a, uh, as my life is given as a, a living sacrifice unto the Lord, it's not a burden. It's not troublesome. It's, it's, an, it's an offering of thanksgiving to God for what he's done. That's what he means by this. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a drudge to us. It's, it's a drudging. It's, it's, it's wonderful. In verse 20 is the portion that I, I picked out to focus on. He sent his word to heal them. Now, this is Old Testament. So what he means by this is the prophets came and shared what his thoughts were, what he wanted to, be, to, to do. There was usually the prophets either had a corrective message, but oftentimes there was a repentance message and, and what to do next. And then sometimes, not very often, but sometimes there was an attaboy, you know, well done. You guys are doing great. That's exactly what I wanted. He sent his word to them to heal them. So if you scorn the word of God and you realize you've gotten yourself in trouble, just so you know the process, he's just going to send you the word again. And what you do with that word this time is what's going to save you and help you. You're not going to avoid it. I think a lot of people want God and godliness without Him. You know? I want Christianity, but I don't want all the stuff. You can't have that. He is who He is. His blessings come from who He is. I, don't, I can't have the, the benefit of a relationship with God without Him. You see? So although I've, I've despised his word, it's gotten me into trouble, and I've cried out, and you've sent, I'm sending help and healing by, your, by my word. And so now you have to do that again. And so that's what the prophets would do. I'm here to tell you how you got into trouble. God says, thus says the Lord. Now, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 41. Jesus shares a parable, and it refers directly to this. Here another parable there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. 
And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Again, he sent another servant, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another, uh, to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Of course, the parable is speaking of the prophets that were sent to the nation of Israel. That was the word of God and how he meant it. But then Jesus came, the son, the word of God become flesh which we read in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If they won't hear my prophets and my word through my prophets, my servants, maybe they'll hear my son, but they didn't. So it's prophetic that Jesus would die on the cross. God's word is meant to heal us, just like Jesus is meant to heal us. I think we understand that a little better, that the cross... Um, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, all these things play in our, our salvation. But to understand the, the motive behind God sending His Son is very important. And I see, we see that in this psalm. I'm sending Him to heal you. It's for your benefit. It doesn't do me any good to see my Son on the cross, but it does you great good. And to not receive His Word, Jesus on the cross, is to be a fool is to be one that sees and recognizes their problems as something that's come from not obeying God and crying out to the Lord, but I've sent my son. Yeah, but I don't want your son. I want something else. Save me another way, the world says. We will not have this man rule over us. We're not going to have him as our Savior. He's not going to be my Lord. Just do it a different way, and he won't. It's by his word that he heals us, and that's who he sends. And so when you reject Jesus, which they did and the world does, He's going to do it again. When the world cries out during the great tribulation period, oh God, help us or do something. or Guess what he sends? It's his word again. You need to believe my word. You need to do that. You cannot escape this. It is the only answer. There are no other solutions. There's no plan B or plan C. And I emphasize that this morning because in a crowd like this, you never know if there's someone who's never made that commitment to Jesus. They've never believe that. They're coming because they just want to get fixed for now. They've run into another problem in their life. Yeah, it's probably because I didn't obey God in the past and I find myself down this road of sin and here I sit in trouble. God, help me, deliver me, but don't send me your word. I don't want to hear your word anymore. I don't want to hear that. There's no other plan. There's no other way out of it. When we give advice, when people ask us our opinions as Christians, we have to give them the word. If if God only sends his word, that's the only thing that should be helping other people out of our mouths is his word. That's the answer. They may not want to hear it. They may know, oh yeah, I hear that all the time. You'd be surprised how many times people come and say, can we get some counsel? Sure. But they already know what I'm going to say because they've already read it. And so when I say something they've read, they don't even let me finish the verse before they say, yeah, I know all that. And I don't know what to tell you. 
There's nothing more I have to offer you as J.D. Dirks other than the Word of God that's changed my life and will change yours. That's it. There's no other plan. I don't have another book to even give you. There's nothing else to do. And to know that. And I think once we know that there are no other plans, because we like to be the helper and we like to be the Savior in a sense. We like to have the solution and have people jump out of their situation and say, I did it. I followed your advice and it worked. We like that. And so when we see them reject the Word of God, oftentimes we try to figure, well, maybe there's something else I can share with them. Something from my experience. Something, you know. No, they've rejected the only help. They just have. You haven't done it wrong. They're just refusing the Word of God again, and they're going to go around that mountain. And sometimes you have to let them go around that mountain again. That's a hard thing to do, but sometimes you do. I just want to encourage you, you're not doing it wrong because they didn't get fixed by your giving them the Word of God. They're just not receiving the Word of God and doing it. That's just it. It's not your fault. You're not doing it wrong. So, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind and lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens and they go down to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still, and they are glad because they are quiet. So He guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, and and let them exalt Him also in the assembly of the peoples and praise Him in the company of the elders." At the end there, he says, when you praise him, when you thank him, to do it publicly so that he gets credit and the other ears around you hear it. I mean, that's part of us getting out of problems and difficult situations is so that he can be exalted in that situation. I had no way out. I was praying to God and all of a sudden he delivered me. I thank God for what he's done for me. And to not be ashamed of the fact that it was your father in heaven that helped you out of that. And then they hear and that the word spreads that way. Of course, I'm focusing on verse 29 as we go through this. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because of the, they are quiet and he guides them to their desired haven. I can't help but think about all the storms that the disciples went through. And the reason the disciples were so amazed when Jesus quiets the storm, they know this psalm. This psalm talks of only one person, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, right? The Old Testament God. And they see this verse coming to pass on their boat with this man, they know who he is. Whoa, this is him. You know, the connections made, they understand that. In Jonah chapter one, verse 12, if you don't know the story, he's a reluctant prophet to the Ninevites. He does not want to go to this heathen nation. This heathen nation hates Israel. He's a prophet of Israel. The last thing I want to do is tell them how to get saved. I pray for their death every day. It doesn't say that, but that's kind of his. He does sit on top of the hill at the end waiting for God's wrath to come down, and it doesn't, and he's disappointed. So I don't think I'm stretching it too far when he hoped their death. So he runs from his mission that God has given him. I'm not going to Nineveh, and of course, He's on this boat and the wind and the waves, right? Or 
throwing the boat around and everybody on the boat thinks they're going to die. And they start thinking about what they need to do, who they need to sacrifice, all these things. He goes, don't worry about it. I know what the problem is. It's me. You throw me overboard. Let's read it. (laughs) And he said to them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea so the sea shall become calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. You imagine that? So mad. It's like, there's, he has two options. I can repent and go do what God calls me to do. If you turn the ship around and head towards Nineveh, everything's going to be fine instead of, you know, Tarshish. If you turn it around and go the other way, better yet, if you just throw me in the water and let me drown, that's his preference. I only bring that up because that's one of the times in the Old Testament we see God calming the sea because it's true that the, the sailors, reluctant as they were, were like, we still want to live, and they toss him overboard. And the, the water just becomes flat, and they're like, ooh, where is he? You know, don't bring him back in the boat. But it became calm. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 25 through 27, then his disciples came to him, and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. They're in the boat, crossing. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now they say that in that tone, because they know who he is. You know who this is, right? I mean, that's another way to put that. It's him. God calls us to call upon Him in our storms. I don't know about you, but I know me. And when I find myself in a sin-driven storm in my life, and I know where it came from, and I know how it came about, I am so slow to cry out. As a Christian, as a man of God, I don't look at Him and say, God, deliver me. I'm like, I know why I'm here. Just throw me in the sea. I know that that's the only way to calm this, you know. He would much prefer that I call him. He would much prefer that you call upon him. Repent of your sin, for sure, but ask him to come in and help, and he will. He wants to be that. He wants to be your deliverer, not only at the cross. I think that's the struggle we have. We still talk about baptism like that's the end all, the beat all. I was baptized. Everybody tells me that around here. I was baptized when I was a kid. I don't care. I don't care if you got wet. Now, here's what I mean by that is, do you remember the day you were baptized, those of you who have been? And how all day long you're thinking about it, and you're close to Him, and you're praying, and you want it to be as mystical as you hope it will be, that when I come out of the water, there's some bright light that's going to... or this, You need to go through the... I don't want that on one day of your life. I want that every single day of your life. I want you to live like that baptismal day, the next day and the next day, all the way. I want the fellowship, you know? I want that every single day of your life. So God is my deliverer and Easter's coming and I'm going to celebrate that sin deliverance that he gave us. But he wants to continue constantly to deliver us from ourselves, from our sin, over and over again. He doesn't want us to sin over and over again, but he's always there. He always wants to. He doesn't want us to go anyplace else, nor does he want us to hold on to it in some kind of pity party or, and it's not really that, we'd never call it that, 
we'd almost call it noble that we're not bringing our, I'm not bringing this burden to you again. I brought it to you too many times. I don't know what that's called. And it's not necessarily pride even. It's just, I just feel stupid to even say it out loud again to you. This is dumb. You know, that's not who he is though. He doesn't think like I do. I want you to bring it up because What's going to happen is you hadn't been talking to me for months before this happened or years, and now it's happened, and now you're going to talk to me, which is what I want the whole time. So talk to me. Don't remain silent. That wasn't the point of the wind and the waves. That wasn't the point of the chains and, the, and being taken into captivity for disobedience to my word. The point of all that was to get you talking to me again. So don't withhold. Pray. Seek the Lord. Ask Him to deliver you, and then, and then stay there. And pray that way. And stay in fellowship with God. Um, you know, 33. He turns rivers into wilderness and the well springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. On the opposite side, he turns the wilderness into pools of water and dry land into well springs. He makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. And sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses blesses them, and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. God does both of these things. You remember when Abraham and his, his nephew Lot were having a difficult time, right? Their herdsmen were arguing all the time, and, and, they, and, they, and they, we need to divide up. Our guys keep running into each other at the well, and it's not a good thing. You know, nobody's happy. They're starting to fight. So Abraham said to Lot, you pick. You want to be up here, or you want to be down there. And down there is Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read the word, read the text, he says, and he looked, and he saw that it was a well-watered valley, beautiful, green, and lush. I mean, we're talking the best River bottom, maybe. That's a good word for us Midwesterners to understand. Just really good soil, good land down there. Of course, Lot chose that. But in their rebellion and in their wickedness, that land no longer looks like that anymore. And this is a perfect picture of that. As Lot was brought out with his wife who didn't quite make it out, and coming back up as the angel said, you need to get out of here. The wrath of God's coming on this lush, green, beautiful, very prosperous part of the world. And when it did, he rained down and salted it, basically. I mean, it's fire, brimstone, and everything else, but salted it. It never looked the same again. It was scorched, you know. And that's what he's talking about. Both things take place. I, I can dry up the rivers in the wilderness so that you cry out because you're thirsty. Or when you're thankful and you have a relationship with you, I can take any wilderness you're in and I can make pools come out of it. That isn't the issue. My circumstances are not the issue. It's my relationship with God and my conversations with Him. That's what changes. Or lack of my conversations. That's very important. So, in Haggai, verses 1, 5 through 7, he writes, Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, and you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He bookends it. 
that truth that we're existing in. You know, it doesn't matter how many clothes, I'm always cold. Hmm. I keep working overtime and then something comes up and I lose all that money that I thought I was going to gain. I was going to put all that time and a half away and then, and then that broke, you know. A bag with holes. Doesn't matter how much I make, it just keeps spilling out into the world and I never gain, I never get ahead. All God is saying is consider your ways. Are you being dried up? Because he's trying to get your attention again? Have you moved away from him? Is fellowship secondary? Is reading the word secondary? Is prayer secondary in your life and something's become more important? And you find out that thing that becomes more important is no longer producing for you what it did? You begin to wonder why? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Verse 39, and then we close here. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where, they, where there is no way. Yet he sets the pool on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Those that used to make fun of the poor aren't making fun of them anymore, is the idea. Whoever is wise, and you can contrast that with verse 17 that says the fools are caught in their transgression and affliction. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. All these afflictions, that's the loving kindness of God. You can keep it. That's not what he means. The afflictions come because of our lack of relationship with him. We love God, but we don't want God. I'll give you an example of this. It's, it's a horrible example, but, well, that's what I came up with anyway. I run into the difficulty as a pastor of people calling me saying, hey, would you marry us? I don't know who you are. Well, yeah, but we could do counseling or something like that. My first question to them is why now? What church do you go to? Well, we don't go to church. Okay. So I, I know where you guys are all going in your mind, but you need to be gracious and loving. You need to reach out to these people. It's supposed to be coming in. We're getting there, and we'll do that. But there needs to be a confrontation that takes place. Why are you reaching out now for God to be in your wedding? Will he be in your marriage? Or do you want the quaint church wedding, because that's what family expects, but that you're going to live like the devil and raise your kids in a home that's like hell, which you don't think that because you've lived in it. You've lived in your sin for so long, you don't even know what hell is, but you're living it. We need to have a conversation first. Where's your church? Where's your pastor? Well, I've never needed God until I wanted to get married. Then I got to thinking I need to, I've got to have a church wedding. Oh boy, probably should have been going to church need to have that conversation. That's all he's ending with here. I know, that's, I know that sounded harsh. I do usually follow through and we usually get to that place where there's a realization that, yeah, I've always needed God in my life. And not only now in the wedding, I'm also going to need him in my marriage because my marriage won't succeed without him. You know, we get there. I don't want you to think I just leave him there. Well, where's your pastor? Click. Yeah, showed them. No, I follow through and finish the thought. But you need to have that conversation. 
Whoever is wise will observe these things. They'll notice these things. They'll see these things. They'll see the truth of this section of Scripture, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Yes, I want to be in your wedding. Of course I do, God says. But I don't want you to leave me there like you did with your baptism. I want to be with you every single day of the rest of your life. I want to lead and guide you your whole life, not only at baptism, but from then on. It's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. I'm dead to myself and I live for the Lord. That's what baptism means. Did you, you know? I made vows to my spouse, this, that, and the other thing, uh, until death do us part, you know? And that's a two-sided thing, I understand. It doesn't always work out the way it's supposed to because one side doesn't keep their part. But that is the promise before God. And if God is left in the, in the home and both are seeking the Lord's heart, then you're going to have a wonderful marriage. But that's the only way you're going to have a wonderful marriage. Likewise, the writer here is just ending with that note. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving kindness. We see these things. We observe these things. And we have thankful hearts for you this morning. Lord, for those this morning that have never made this commitment to you or made this connection with you, that you want to be not only um, a part of their lives, but you want to be their life. You want to lead and guide them every day of their life. Lord, today they want to make that commitment to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that you saved us, that you loved us, that you stepped in and released us from the bondage of our sin, from our shame, from our guilt, from our sentence of death. You took that all away at the cross, and we thank you for that. And as we acknowledge that this morning, we also want to make you Lord of our lives, not just our Savior that happened once for all, but Lord. That we wouldn't follow the dictates of our own hearts anymore, but we would follow your word, your precepts, your leading of the Spirit. Every single day for the rest of our lives, we give you our lives. Because what brought us to you was the fact that you gave us yours. And so we give ours back to you. Let us be a living sacrifice to you. Let us walk with you every single day, honoring you, bringing glory to you, obeying your word, listening to your precepts and receiving them and doing them, and to not be rebellious. I pray that you bless these folks today as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Um, We'd be glad to pray with you. Jenny will be over here for you ladies if you're more comfortable with ladies, uh, you know, and I'll be in the middle here and so on. Thank you.